Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I want to say thanks to those that were here for my absence. I've been out uh, on vacation a little bit, and um, we're going to continue to move around some of our preaching teams. So you'll hear some different voices. I'll be at uh, our second location next week as we celebrate uh, with the Wildwood School. Um, I want to start by talking about my failing vision. Um, if you've watched me over the years, I'm how many people here wear glasses? Go ahead, boldly proclaim. Oh, a lot of us, good. How many people didn't have to wear glasses until they were older? Yeah, isn't it horrible? Yeah, I, I can't get the uh, contacts in my eyes. I'm that guy, I'm like, oh, I can't do it, and I'm crying, it's horrible. So I, wear, I leave them, and, and I'm always looking for them, and I need, and so I just don't like them. And so as I've gotten even older since I got these, that's a theme on the whole glassing, you're older. I went to see the ophthalmologist and they had all the lenses and can you read the letters? And then they begin to tell you, you know, when you get older, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't need that in my life. Your, your eyeball will change shape and the lens will change and you won't be able to see like you once did. And you, and you might have a few cataracts and, 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 you know, in, in between services, I was talking to somebody who goes, I've got floaters now. I don't know what that is. He said, but, you know, it's, it's things that move across your eye. I thought I was losing my mind. There's all kinds of things that can affect your vision. And glasses help correct that vision. There are all kinds of things that can distort your spiritual vision. And one of the most distorting of them all is envy. Envy. And that's what we'll be talking about today. If jealousy makes us fear the loss of what we possess or think we possess, envy creates sorrow that others have what we don't. We want what they have, right? And we live in a, don't we live in a culture that's constantly promoting envy? Everywhere. All the commercials that we have to endure as we watch our favorite whatever, sports or something, envy. And then there's the less, not subtle at all, reality of social media. It's designed really, I think maybe for one purpose, and that is envy. And the algorithms that, that work behind it constantly put before you those things that you envy. I like watches. I made the mistake to stop and look at a watch on a social media feed. Guess what I get now? watches. I should have learned. Look at flowers, right? Put a picture of my wife there. Look at that. Have that pop up, right? Envy. It distorts our vision badly in multiple ways. Not only does it cloud our view of God, but it diminishes our view of ourself. When we envy, we want what others have and we begin to diminish what we have what God has done in us, how we are unique. It's a problem that plagues us all. If we desire to live wisely, and that's where we are in our here journals, learning to live wisely with the Lord, then we need to see him clearly so that we can see the world around us as he does. And one of the major distortions is envy. Now, envy is one of those sermons that you can chalk up to sermons I never hear in church. Right? We never hear sermons on gluttony. 
We never hear sermons on lying. We never hear sermons on gossip. We never hear sermons on envy. Well, that's what today's is, envy. And we all struggle with it. Not only do we all struggle with it, it's included in a description of life outside of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had many disciples. He wrote a few of them in those letters we have in the New Testament. Timothy would be one. Titus would be another one. And as he tried to explain to Titus the power of the gospel, he said, remember what we were like. Here's what it says in Titus chapter three. At one time, we, including himself, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Envy is one of those base passions, if it goes unchecked, will ultimately devour you. We were all these things, he continues, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Like a trail guide taking you through the wilderness, I will be walking us through a trail in Psalm 73, one I have traversed so many times my familiarity with it will not go unnoticed. And so, like you, I struggle with envy. Not only of the things that people have, but the skills they have. What they're able to do in the 24 hours of their day that I don't seem to get to. And so I wanna pause and I wanna pray that if you are languishing in envy, if you are caught up in envy, that today, as Steve said, you might have more confidence in God, that you will have a, at least a, you'll know the trail to get out and you can follow it. So let's pray together. Father God, we come to you. I confess and confess for us, Lord, we all too often want what others have. We're frustrated that they have it and we do not. And in doing so, we forget all that you've done for us, all that you've done in us all that you've given to us, the way you've uniquely made us and gifted us, the unique place that you have placed us. And so for that, we humbly confess and ask, Lord, that you forgive us when we compare in envy. Help us today to come into your glorious presence that we may shed the chains of envy and rejoice before you and in you and all that you give. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the Psalms and Proverbs, there's a constant comparison between the wicked and the righteous. You know, the old joke, there's two kinds of people, right? Well, there's often more. But in the Bible, those are often those two kinds. Titus told us that the righteous aren't just people that just live life perfectly. Those are the ones that have been saved by God's grace. Those are the righteous ones following after him. So who are the wicked? Who are the wicked? They're not the worst people in your neighborhood right? Oh, they're so wicked. They're not the witch in Broadway, 
right? They're not casting spells. The wicked in the Bible are those people who have no uh, view of God in the decisions that they're making to live out their life. They're not checking the scriptures. They're not, they're not in community. They, they maybe have no faith, but they're not checking in with God on anything they do. Those are, the, those are the wicked. They don't take him into consideration. And so what that means is they're, they're well, it's translated this way, evil people. Now, that seems a little strong, too. It seems like I'm not evil. I can distance myself from that. Bad people is another way it's translated. But it's just people that don't consider God in their activities. And so that would include many, many of the people that you and I admire. Right? The sports stars that we admire. The movie stars, the business people, the politicians, the socialites that are constantly put before us as victorious, as successful, as someone to envy. But it also includes just, just the people around us. It does include our neighbors. It does include people in our family. It does include people we go to class with, people we play pickleball with and around the golf, people that we socialize with. It's the everyday people that we become super envious of. And we will see how they behave further along on this journey as we go through this with Asaph. Asaph is the writer of the psalm, not King David. Asaph was cool. I would have liked to have known him. He was a musician. He played the drums. He was a cymbal player. I don't know what that meant, but he played them. He wrote songs. He wrote Psalm 50, Psalm 73 to 83, those 12. And he and I can relate at just a gut level because he's super honest. He was David's singer, worship leader, and private preacher. And he was brutally honest. And so we start with the problem of envy and comparison. We're gonna see it. Verse one is what Pastor Andrew Bates calls the bluff, B-L-U-F, the bottom line up front. He starts with where he's going to end to remind us before he begins the journey through his envy to a place of resolution that God is good. Verse one, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, meaning not those that are perfect, but those that are seeking after him with their heart. This is, this is where he starts because it's the goodness of God that's going to allow him to get through all of this envy and get to a place of resolution. And so I like to summarize the contrast between the wicked and the righteous as we'll see this way. The blessing of the wicked is temporary and the punishment is everlasting, but the blessing of the godly is everlasting while their trials are temporary. Let me say it again. The blessing of the wicked is temporary, is short-lived, but the punishment is everlasting. But the blessing of the godly is everlasting and the trials are temporary. So we start off and he's super honest about where he is. Verses two and three. But as for me, which he's gonna say twice. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He boldly confesses the issue. We say this in our outline, longing for prosperity. The spiritual life is very difficult. 
It's full of all kinds of distractions, like a person climbing rocks, which I cannot do. I'm scared of heights. But I've seen it. You have to stay so focused. If you get out of focus, if you lose focus and are distracted, you're going to lose your foothold. And it'll just be a moment before you fall. And he is just, he said it plainly. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Look at them. Verses four and five. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. There's envy stated pretty clearly, pretty straightforward. No struggles. Isn't this the purpose of Facebook? To paint a picture of your life struggle-free? Right? Nobody puts up their bad days. This is a horrible day. I was texting and I had a wreck and I'm going to jail. Nobody posts that. <laughs> right? They only post what's great. If they're not a political rant, they're going to be envy producing. Or maybe it's just me. But let me ask you, how many vacations have you already looked at and envied? Oh, look where they went. Oh my gosh. This is their second trip. How did they manage that? Where are they staying? We lust after those beautiful beach pictures with, with all the sand. You get the end of their feet. You know what I'm talking about? And, you're just like, and it's just designed to cause you to envy, right? That's, the, that's its purpose. Look at them. Their bodies are healthy and strong. How many bodies have you already envied? On the same beach trips. Look at her. Oh my gosh. She's lost some weight. Look at him. Who would have thought? Man, they're all tan. They're kids. Look at them. They're all healthy. Hmm. It happens to all of us. And it's not just a youthful battle. As you age, you go, I wonder if he's wearing contacts. He's as old as I am. Surely he needs glasses. Right? Look how easy he gets around. It's amazing. Look at it. He played 36 holes of golf in one day. I'd be in the hospital if I did that. It happens. It happens. Look at them. And, and, and look at how they act. Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. I mean, like a big gold chain around their neck is their pride, their confidence, their swagger, they're wearing it. And is there any greater degree of hubris than violence and abuse of another person? Because I'm convinced you can't do anything about it. That's where it leads. That's how arrogant I am. I can abuse you and you can't do anything about it. And once you get there, the thoughts that enter your mind become really dark. And our imaginations have no limit. They can think and do just about whatever they want. They have independence. Look at them. Look how they act. Listen to what they say. Verses 8 and 9. They scoff and speak with malice. They're arrogant. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. 
They make jeers. They bully with their words. They kill with their words. They chat it up. They're full of hot air, but they're going to say it loudly and with confidence. And, And how do people respond? People run to them. Have we not seen that played out? The more confident, the more arrogant, the more sure, the louder they speak, the more attractive they seem to be. I wish I could say that. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that way. Verses 10 and 11, look how the people respond. Therefore, their people, don't miss that, their people, Turn to them. They drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Oh, they don't even care about God, right? They don't care about him. Not only that, they're talking about it. People are just lapping it up. I watch the young athletes come to LSU and other places, and I've envied. I've envied that. And then I started thinking, but what's it like? To have 100,000 people lap it up. How distorting might it be to a young mind? Evidently, it's pretty distorting. We'll get to that in a minute. They say, you talk about pride. You talk about arrogance. (laughs) What's God going to do? Does he know anything? Look at them. Look how they act. Listen to what they say. Look how people respond to them. And then look at all the money they have. Verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. Newsflash, no one's always carefree. When our our spiritual vision is blurred because of envy, we begin to think, they don't have any problems. Every time I see them on social media, they're on vacation. Well, yeah, that's all they post. So that's all you're going to see. Come on. Right? It gets skewed. No one's always carefree, but that's the way we begin to think, is it not? And they constantly amassing wealth. Man, if I had that kind of money, I mean, I would give first to the church. I mean, that would be right off the top. 10%. Maybe 11 Maybe seven. I mean, but that's my first, first thing. And then the things I could do. This is languishing in envy. How about you? Are you languishing in envy? Has your spiritual vision become blurred to where you're not really sure what your next step is? There's so many things here that we envy. Not having pain, not having trouble, not having lack feeling like we're in control, and of course our independence to do and say what we want. When we are languishing in envy, let me tell you what you will be. You'll be unhappy. You're going to be miserable and probably extremely anxious. I think it is a way that affects us. Asaph is going to confess all the way through this journey that I'm going with him on. Verse 13, surely in vain, (laughs) I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hand in innocence all day long. I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. 
When you're convinced that because of what you don't have that someone else's has, and you're missing out, it's going to lead you to believe that playing by the rules just doesn't work. I've just, I've kept my heart pure and it doesn't matter. I've watched students, male and female, struggle with this when they come to LSU. And they're tempted to compromise their sexuality, to compromise their character. And they think, man, first semester was so boring, right? That's one of the reasons we try to create a loving, connecting environment. And if you go to bed thinking about everything other people have, let me assure you, you're going to wake up miserable. And as the, as the morning sun rises here in Louisiana, right, it just gets hotter and hotter. And so the person with envy, as the days and weeks go on, you just become more and more miserable. So the question becomes, what is God going to do to help us here? What can he do? What will he give us? Well, he'll give, him, he'll give us himself. He'll give us his presence. The power of, the, of God's perspective through his presence. That's where we are. The power of his perspective. Finishing up in verses 15 and 16, this kind of thoughts. He, said, he says, you know, if I would have verbalized out loud, it says, if I would have spoken out like that, like I don't need to play by the rules, it would have betrayed your dear children, your dear children. If I would have verbalized that, it would have been an affront and confusing to people that are trying to follow you. I would have betrayed your dear children. And then when I tried to understand all of this envy, all of this longing, all that's going on inside of me, it troubled me deeply. He's working from a self perspective self-reliance, self-assured, and he is struggling. I, it is so, I'm overwhelmed by it. I can't get control of it. I envy, I envy, I envy. It's just wearing me out. It's making me miserable. It's making me anxious. And then in verse 17, everything changes. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. I want to be clear that this is to enter the presence of God, not just a space. Some spaces are more sacred than others. And maybe you need to enter that. But what he's saying is, I was spiraling out of control until I got into his presence. Are you? We talked when we looked at Psalm 100 and Psalm 150 of the importance of being here in the community worshiping together and how that can give us such a lift to worship God together. But getting before God, let's be honest, it's a real challenge. Les, I'm having just a little, do y'all hear it in the sound? Is it just my ears? Okay. Thank you, sir. Um, it just, it, it could be, the community's great, but I just want to be honest, right? It's really hard. We, have, we are constantly distracted. We have forgotten as a culture the importance of solitude or how to even get there. Things buzz, they bing, they ding all day long, all night long. Even our focus features have a way around them. They just really struggle. So a few things that will help you come into his presence outside of the community of faith is this right here. 
It's why we have a here journal. We try to make it accessible. Let me explain the here journal to you because sometimes it gets confused. It's not a study to gain knowledge as much as it is, as much as it is a journey to obedience. I hear, I explain what is going on here. I apply, I think, how would I apply this? And then I respond personally. God, what do you want me to do in light of this? That's what we're after. Jesus says this, he who has my commands and obeys them. That's the person who loves me and will be loved by my Father, and I too am gonna love them and show myself to them. And so it's through understanding and acting in obedience that we are in the presence of God. But boy, it's really different. If you have feelings of anxiety and worry and misery, they're all because of envy, and you might need to stop and consider it. Is that the, the source? Then I would say this, stop. Stop and get alone with God. Maybe it takes a half a day. Maybe it takes planning the night before so you have enough time in the morning to pause. I have to get with him in the morning because if I miss it, the day is gone. Maybe it's ending the day. Something I've tried to do in the past year, journal my anxieties at the end of the day. Journal my emotions. I'm not, I'm not that in tune with them, so I'm not very good at it. But what I've discovered is so I, if I can offload them to God at night, I don't wake up with them in the morning. If I don't offload them, I wake up and it's noon before I realize why I'm being such a jerk. Quiet yourself. What can help? Being outside helps me a lot. So maybe you need to, to get out there and cut grass because it won't quit growing, right? Maybe, you know, I talk to guys. I meet with God in a deer stand. Man, deer stands are awesome. There's nobody there. It's beautiful. But rarely will you do the business that you need to, which is confessing your envy and finishing that work. It's just a respite from noise. When you get that, go the next step. Work in the garden a little bit. Quiet your heart. Clear your head. And then come before him and say, I need to hear from you. I need your perspective. I need to be in your presence. Maybe it's a round of golf all by yourself. Not so you can brag on your score, but so that you can clear your head. I don't know what it is, but consider it. I wonder, do you want God's perspective? Asaph did. And so community is really helpful. It's why we encourage you to be in a community group where you actively confess, I'm really struggling with envy. When was the last time you've heard somebody say that? We all deal with it, but we never say it. Yeah, I'm really struggling with envy. I went fishing with a friend, and he had everything better than me, right? I just envied it. I just need to confess that. Start small. Consider what you can do. Right? Take 20 minutes if you can't take an hour. But this is a journey that takes time. It's not a journey of just walking into the room. And then join us every week and come ready to enter in. Right? Once we have God's perspective, our view of everything will begin to change. 
he first has a change of heart about them, the wicked. In verse 18 and through 20, it says this, Surely you've placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as a fantasy. I don't know if you've ever had a dream where you woke up afraid it was real. And you just, as soon as you realized that it wasn't, you got it out of your head. I despise that thought. I just, I get it out of here. That's what it's saying. Asaph is remembering now that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? And so we call this envisioning God's perspective. We need to envision it. Not only have I clarity on what's happening with those that have no regard for God, I have clarity on who I am in the process. Look at verse 21. When my heart was grieved, I was consumed with envy, and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Can you relate to that? You're coming to God like a dog on a leash and you're demanding everything you want and you're complaining about what you don't have and, you, and you're just like, they've got it all. That's what he's describing here. But now that he's in his presence, he realizes, oh my gosh, I was out of my mind. I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was just like a beast before you. And what I love about this is it tells us about the grace of God that we can approach him and our senselessness. We can approach him with, without having this resolve because there's no way to get there unless you come to him openly and honestly. It's after he's been before God and then in his presence that he goes, oh, I understand those that I envied now. Oh, I, I actually see myself. Oh my gosh. I was like a wild bull in front of you, demanding, whining, complaining, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then there's this clarity about God in verses 23 and 24. I'm always with you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you're gonna take me into glory. I'm okay, I'm with you. I love it when my four-year-old grandson says, you know, here, take, take Poppy's hand. and reaches up. Everything's okay now. We're getting in the boat. Did a little fishing with him over the, you know, on vacation. Come on, we got it. I'm with you and you, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me. I'm not in this world alone. And after that, you're gonna take me to glory. Ooh, his perspective is changing. He sees them, he sees himself, he sees God differently, and now he can begin to enjoy God as his portion. Verse 25 and 26. Whom, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth? And uh, earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a beautiful place of resolution. Who do I have in heaven but you? That's all there is up there, it's you, you're it. You're the focus of all the worship. 
And therefore, on earth, there's nothing, there's nothing I desire now. My flesh is weak, yeah, my heart can fail, but you're gonna be the strength of my heart. Surely God is good to Israel, right? That's where he started. You're gonna give me that strength, even when I feel faint. And you are my portion forever. All too often we look to God as the giver of gifts, forgetting he is the gift. I've been before the Lord. He's quieted my heart. He's calmed my anxieties. He's cleared my vision. And now what do I want? Nothing but him. Nothing but him. When we get before the Lord like that, we will have to be honest in confession. We will be transformed internally and it will transform our life externally. That's the way it always happens. Verses 27 and 28. Summary and resolution. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all his deeds. The first time I journeyed this path of resolved envy with Asaph, I was a sophomore at LSU. I was living in Tiger Stadium. I was riddled with envy. And I found right here in Psalm 73, someone who knew the journey and I began to take it with him. I think I spent days and hours in verses one to 16, rehashing what I envied, being honest with God, a brute beast before him, begging that his presence might transform me. And in his grace, he led me there. And then when I got to the end, I wrote a song. I won't sing it for you. It's a good one. But I just began to sing these words. I played my guitar a lot more then than I do now. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all his deeds. Those are all statements of declaration, not drift. You don't drift into this position. After everything that's happened, he says, I've decided. For me, I'm gonna be near God. For me, he's gonna be the place I go when life comes apart. For me, I'm gonna tell of all of his deeds. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all his deeds. That's both in the house of God and in the community. Our transformation vertically impacts our relationships horizontally. So if you're currently languishing in envy, there's one who has gone before you that can lead you to a place, the presence of God. Don't get off the path until you get there because when you are there, what you will discover is you will understand the world a lot better. You will understand yourself a lot better. You will understand the Lord a lot better that he is with you, that he has you by the hand, that he's going to hold you and protect you and guide you and lead you into glory. 
And then you can say, or sing. Remember, he's a singer-songwriter. But as for me, the Lord is my refuge. Right? But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I'm going to tell of all his deeds. So today, we have two baptisms, youth baptisms. These youth are declaring, they're declaring this step of faith in their journey. And so when we get there, as they come up out of the water, I want you to clap, I want you to yell, I want you to cheer them on, on this step of faith. I wanna pray for us as we transition. Father God, thank you that you give us counsel and you don't leave us to the darkness of our own mind. Lord, I pray for those now that are wrapped around the axle of envy. It's so, it's, it's everywhere around us, promoting envy. And so we struggle with it. I pray that we would be honest about our struggle and learn the beauty that we have in you. Lord, I pray for those that need to trust in Jesus Christ. Keep putting it off. Fearful that their life's such a mess, that their heart's so dark, their mind is so repulsive that they won't come to you. But here is Asaph bringing all of his struggle straight to you. So Lord, I pray for those that need to come before you with their struggle, with their shame, and lay it at your feet to find forgiveness and healing and hope and salvation. And by calling out on the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for our morning, Lord, and the chance we have to be together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.